Welcome to the Patterns of Truth podcast, the place for casual discussion of biblical principles and difficult questions that face the Christian believer. We believe that the Bible can speak to today's issues, giving us the wisdom and the courage we need for our lives. We are so glad that you are joining us, and you can always find us at patternsoftruth.org. Well, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us again at Patterns of Truth podcast. I'm Peter, your host for today, and today's thought-provoking podcast is about an important question. Does the salvation message make sense? Most of our audience have been believers or they heard the salvation message for a long time. But if you haven't heard the salvation message before, it can sound very strange, confusing, and as one of my friends men- mentioned to me and said, and I quote, easily dismissible. So in this episode, we will delve into the reason behind the belief that Jesus died, needed to die on the cross for us as part of the salvation message. We will also consider objection to the idea that God required a sacrifice for human sin and examine the implication of these objections for our understanding of salvation. So uh, with me is uh, Patricia and Roy. Hi. Hello. Good. <laughs> uh, so today we're kind of uh, recording a little bit later than normal. So hopefully everybody's still awake. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Doing fine. Good. So a uh, question for both of you. Have you ever thought about the validity of salvation message before? Or have you been sincerely questioned about Christ's story of dying on the cross for us from an unbeliever? Well, I've certainly thought a lot about it. Um but I don't recall actually being questioned uh, by an unbeliever. Um, usually there is, uh, they just put you off, or at least put me off, and go about their business. But I have uh, thought about the issue uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I, I would say similar. similarly. Um, I don't think I've ever been questioned specifically by an unbeliever maybe saying some of the same statements that you encountered, Peter, but I have been around people, I guess you would say, who have said things um, about the Bible or the story of salvation that is there and that maybe think and question, just consider other people's perspectives. And those people, I don't know, I know two of them were in high school and they were people who were from like a Catholic background and they described their thoughts as like sort of like an awakening. I remember one guy came to class and girl next to me was a Jehovah's witness and he was raised Catholic and they were talking and he was like, religion makes no sense. If you really think about it, it makes no sense. Why are we arguing about old stories? And I was 17 and I sat there and I was like, I can understand his perspective, right? And I, I'm kind of like, in my own mind, like my own personality is, I don't like shut down those thoughts, I guess you would say, or perspectives, because I think there is a reason why people think that. And I think if everybody's honest, 
I think everybody questions whatever they've grown up with. And so I've encountered it with other people saying things to me. And so then, of course, that made me sit and reflect and say, like, well, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Do I just believe this because I was raised this way and I'm afraid to leave this belief system? Right. Like, I think I have dealt with that question personally. Um, but I have yet for someone to get in my face about uh, this this question. So um It'll be interesting delving into it today. Well, this is actually a perfect segue to our first question. Mm -hmm. So I, I want all of us to start with the assumption that we're speaking to a maybe an unbeliever uh, and everybody believes that God exists and he's involved in our lives. Uh, now, based on what we learn in the Bible, God is a God of order and humans, humanity rebelled and broke that order that God assigned. And uh, we call that in, in the Bible and in Christian uh, circles, sin, which is missing the mark, breaking this order. And the question is, does God really require a sacrifice for human sin, for human rebellion? Is that really necessary? So with big questions like this, I, I know we talked about this before, but I always like to go back to like the basics of what I know. So Peter, you mentioned that like sinning is missing the mark, but I also think about how, you know, a core belief in um, Christianity is that once Adam and Eve sinned, all of their descendants then would have sinful nature, right? And so I like to go back to the basics and think about, well, humans, right? How do we behave from our earliest moment? And I am a new mom and my daughter's four months old, and I'm already seeing little things like a little temper, right? Things that are coming out of her just reaction to like this world and this life. And I'm, and I look at her and she is so cute and amazing, but I can see in her, wow, like we really do just come as sinful human beings. Right. And then later on, right. People do a variety of actions that miss the mark and defy God. So I think before we get to like what does God require for sinning against him? I think we, I think every single person, whether they are a Christian or not, has to acknowledge that there is something really wrong with humanity. Because if you look at our planet, the way things go, people who seem to be good are, do terrible things at the same time. And there's destruction and chaos all over the place, even though people may say they try to do good. So then if there's all these things happening, what do we do? Like, do those people just get away with what they've done? Right. And I think that's where I come back to the idea of like, well, of course there has to be some sort of payment for things that go wrong. And I think internally as humans, we all would want that to happen. If someone did something to me, I would want a payment for that in some way. Um, but God is righteous. We want it in a destructive way. So I think that getting back to the basics of like human nature can help us uncover this question in a really helpful way. Yeah, I think you brought up a very good point there, uh, Patricia, about uh, justice. We all have a very deep sense of injustice or when justice is done and how it should be done. And it would be a strange world indeed if God indeed is on his throne for there not to be some justice uh, meted out. And mm -hmm. of course, that leads many religions to propose that we have to come up with something in ourselves to uh, mitigate the evil or to pay back God. And so lots of religions have various 
kinds of rituals and practices that people have to go through. Mm. But Christianity is different from that in the sense that we have no capacity for uh, righting our own wrongs before God. And this comes from considering just the nature of God and our own capabilities. I think we have a God at all, that he has to be an absolute perfection. He has to be absolutely just and holy. And so the idea that we can somehow minimize or mitigate our own failures doesn't seem to be a reasonable process. So first, uh, we have the nature of God. And then I think if we think about ourselves, we also have a problem on that side as well. Mm -hmm. Because the deeper we look at our own behavior, the less uh, delightful, (laughs) I can use that (laughs) word, it becomes. Yeah. And so there must be some sort of a a way in which God himself can resolve these. And this was expressed um, by Job millennia ago when he, looking at his plight, said, where is the mediator? Where is the umpire that can put his hand on us both? Hmm. And I think that is a core idea. There must be a mediator. There must be a person who can put his hand on God and put his hand on man. And I think that's the core idea of the incarnation. We have the doctrine in, in Christianity that God himself in the person of the Son of God was incarnate, became, we might say, the second man or the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he went about doing good and could uh, stand before others and say, which of you convicts me of sin? No responsible human being other than him Hmm. could actually make that statement uh, solemnly and seriously. So we first of all have to have somebody that can stand in that place Hmm. of providing a link between ourselves and God. Thanks, Roy. I think, so the point is not, do we need sacrifice, right? But also, do we require the right sacrifice? So we established first that there's something growing from, you know, what Patricia was saying. Everybody should be aware, like there's corruption in the world. And there's something wrong. If we believe a God also exists and God is judge and holy and good, then there has to be judgment. And if we minimize it to something I can do that's too little to what has happened. And I think one thing, well, picture always a simple picture I learned when I was young that stuck to me is if I slap my, my friend, <laughs> he will be upset and slap me back. If sure. I slap my dad, I'm in really big trouble. Uh, and maybe I'm kicked out of the house for a little bit or punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I slap the president of the United States, uh, I am in jail or I'm dead, uh, one or the other. So, <laughs> so if we um, insult God himself, so the punishment should be valued as much as the insult itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I think we're, we're, we're in agreement with all that. Now, an objection to what we've been saying is that 
the idea of atonement mm -hmm. is that it's not fair for an innocent to die for or to be punished or to be sacrificed for the guilty. Uh, we don't do that in our courts. Uh, I can't, for example, um, be a horrible person mm -hmm. and uh, go kill someone. And then Roy comes in court and say, hey, I'm going to take his place. He doesn't have to, or my dad, for example, because he loves me mm -hmm. and he wants to sacrifice himself for myself, for me. Um, and he says, uh, I'll take his place. Uh, I need to be punished myself. But, you know, is, uh, what's, what's your thoughts? Well, again, the, uh, the value of the payment needs to be commensurate with the value of the offense. And I think you said it very well, Peter. Uh, there's no way we can provide or any human being, ordinary human being, uh, setting Christ aside, can provide what God requires. Now, as far as substitution, we do substitute penalties, but capital offenses are special, and we we can't substitute those simply because we can't value human life or human value human life is, is too valuable, we might say. So there is no way in which one person can satisfy a capital crime for someone else. But in, the term, in terms of monetary penalties, we do pay penalties for other people. So there is a concept of substitution. The question is, how does that work out when the issues are between man and God? Now, it's not arbitrary. We have to remember that long before anything was created, and this is a very important verse in Acts chapter 2, where it talks about the Lord Jesus, who uh, was lifted up, and that refers to the cross, in the foreknowledge of God in the counsels of his eternal plan. So. It wasn't an arbitrary or second guessing of God to provide the atonement that we needed. This was all purposeful right from before creation. And we have a, a little illustration in Isaiah. Now, I, this is, of course, I think a meta metaphorical a bit because Isaiah is probably the real subject, but it relates to Christ. We picture Christ in this when the uh, I forget exactly how the story goes, but it's the the one where uh, someone says, "Who will go for us?" And I think it's Isaiah says, uh, "I will go." So there is a voluntary standing in for someone else, and uh, that is if God accepts accepts that He's the righteous Judge of all the earth then I think it's inappropriate for us to question that. Yeah, I think that when people do pose the question that, like, why should an innocent person be punished for someone else's guilt? I think that the natural answer is that it shouldn't happen, right? Um, but in the case of the Lord Jesus dying for us, um, I think it's pretty clear that everywhere in the New Testament, especially the expressions of like reaction, I guess you would say, to what the Lord Jesus did as an innocent person, 
right? As guiltless, dying for the guilty, there are so many scriptures that talk about how that demonstration of love and grace is beyond what we would do as humans. So I think that when an unbeliever or even a believer poses that question, like, that's just not fair, I think that that is the correct emotion. And that's why we should be grateful that the Lord has done that for us because we didn't deserve it. Um, it makes me think of this verse and I was just looking for it and it's a pretty popular one, uh, actually a few that says it's in Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. For when we were without strength at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die Yet, perhaps, for a good man would some even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And these verses just show, you know, how we would not do that. We would not sacrifice ourselves for someone who was bad. Maybe not even for a good person. We would say, you know, that's really sad, <laughs> right? That's really unfortunate for them, right? We would not go the extra mile, but that is the extravagance of God's love and grace toward us that someone who did not deserve to die did so. So I think that that is something that should um, make us think differently about um, instead of focusing on the terribleness of the violence, I guess you would say, that's involved in sacrifice, but also see the other side that this is a demonstration of love. So we would not have to suffer that. And we deserved it. Yeah, I think one thing that hits home for me is that even my sacrifice is not enough hmm. to reach the point of satisfaction for God and used to be something even more. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest with you, I'm still not grasping the whole sacrifice and you know atonement that God did. Uh, and maybe that's like, Patricia said, you know, something that it's hard for us to comprehend, to understand the depth of it. I like the concept of debt and that uh, someone paid the debt. I can understand this, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's even deeper than that. Yeah, it evolves life and death. The stakes are much, much higher than just a debt, right? Oh, I have to pay it, right? It's that and so much more. Yeah. But I think it's okay to like struggle to wrap our minds around this because I think I, as Christians, like we have to acknowledge and the Bible says, right? His ways are not our ways. His ways are past finding out and we're just humans, right? And you think about the, when the Lord Jesus came to this earth and as a baby and you see how people spoke to him when he was a man, right? When even his own earthly parents, his disciples who spent so much time with him, they had a hard time grasping that this was the way that God was going to do with it, this, that coming as a baby, what, right? That's unexpected. Oh, he's not just going to overthrow the Roman government. That's not what we expected, right? And that's all in the gospels. And so I think that there's nothing wrong with struggling with that. And like the disciples, they eventually, with the exception of Judas, came to accept that that was the way that God had done it. But I think it's a normal, natural response to, to say, wow, this is unbelievable. But God gives us the faith to believe that um, and to see the wisdom in his ways. 
Right, I think before we were recording, we were discussing this, and a couple of verses that came to us is First Timothy three sixteen. Great is the mystery of godliness. It's mystery, mm-hmm. and we uh, probably don't understand it, and want maybe we'll understand it in heaven. And Romans eleven thirty three also speaks about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what He did, mm-hmm. and it says all oh, the deep richness of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. How unsearchable is his judgment and unfathomable in his is his ways. And this is one thing I, I appreciate about God is he's unsearchable. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't understand everything. If he is searchable, uh, you can search him. He is limited. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, right. He is above our own comprehension. So that kind of give me peace and appreciation to God even more. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to jump to just juxtapose. I don't know if this is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the right about we, we talked about atonement and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Why death on the cross? Can we just talk a little bit about this? I think it's important to realize that this was man's choice. When Christ came, he went around doing good, but the grace and kindness that he showed, the um, we might say stepping outside of the religious rigor that was instituted by the Pharisees and Sadducees, aroused an antagonism that resulted in the cross. So it was, we can say, I think it was man's choice. And it was allowed of God to show really the the character of man's antagonism toward God himself, because Christ manifested the very character of God. Uh, He could say to his disciples, "If if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in his daily life, he manifested the very character of God in every way. He was that perfect man that God delighted in. Mm. And so what man did to him has to be separated from the atonement. That was a manifestation of man's heart going really all the way back to the practically the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. Cain and Abel. It's Cain that killed Abel. So right from the very beginning, there was a a hatred. Mm of man the natural man against the goodness and the righteousness of god Hmm. it's interesting that hebrews tells us that the blood of abel spilt on the ground still speaks to us Hmm. that's actually striking and it speaks to us because it shows the relationship that we have with god naturally it's that of put put him away like the psalmist says in a couple of places, the fool has sin in his heart, there is no God. One doesn't want anything to do with God. Hmm. So um, that's actually the cross. But when the Lord suffered before God, that's darkness. Hmm. There are three hours of darkness. And that was when the atonement was made. That's when the debt, that our debt before God was paid. and. The penalty is slightly different 
Remember, the Lord said it is finished, and then he died. The death was in response to the penalty. So right from the beginning, God created man, put him in the garden. Everything was beautiful and perfect. But he said, uh, in the day you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're going to die. So that death has come upon all of us as evidence of our ruined condition. And so Christ had to stand before God to bear that penalty as well. So he bore that penalty of death. So, you know, I, I, I can imagine if, if I'm trying to make a statement to humankind, I would imagine Jesus Christ should die like in the middle of the earth and the voice from heaven comes and mentions, you know, this is the punishment that needs to be done for the humanity. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. I mean, uh, I guess I'm not explaining my uh, my question well. I would make it more prominent, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, if it's me. And I wonder why it was based on a human method of the cross. Hmm. I mean, I do think it's a hard question because, like, one, my, like, pragmatic side of my brain is just like, well, that was the time period in which God selected for the Lord Jesus to come to the earth. That was the region where this was a popular form of execution. And so this is the way it went. Like, that's, like, one side of my brain (laughs) just thinks from that perspective. I think from the other side of my mind. Um, I think about the prophecies in the Old Testament. You think about like the juxtaposition of like the two trees, right? The tree in the garden and then the tree that was used to make the cross, which was made out of wood. But I also think about um, the injustice of the entire scene and how the Lord Jesus suffered, right? First he suffered at the hands of man. And then, you know, in those three hours of darkness. And I think once again, I just come back to like, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure why God chose this way, but I know that he did. I do believe that. And the Lord's blood was shed and therefore the payment it was done. Um, and so, you know, but I know that I'm speaking like from a faith perspective there. So um, I think that's really like, for me, that's what it comes down to um, as a believer. Um, just saying like, you know, there are times when I'm not really sure. And I'm sure I'm sure somebody has a really deep theological answer and can comb through the Old Testament and specifically say, why the cross? Why this? Why then? I don't know those answers. Um, I know that they are there, but I take it like in simple faith that that is how God wanted it to be. And that is when it took place. And I think that I rest in that, you know, um, just in that in that place as we just think about that issue. Um, There are hard questions, though. um, And I think sometimes it's okay to just say, like, you know, I am not 100 percent sure why, but I do believe that the Lord Jesus suffered and died and paid for my sin and I'm covered and praise to Jesus. (laughs) Right. I mean, this is adds to the last question I have, which is, you know, 
some may say maybe the story of Jesus is just a lie. Mm-hmm. He was an exceptional teacher who claimed to be a god, or maybe he was an exceptional teacher and people glorified him to be a god, and who said he will die for the sins of people, and people believed him. Mm-hmm. And I know as believers, we take it as with faith, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, what makes a difference is my personal experience. Sure. That is always something that nobody can take from me. But what what would you tell someone, Roy or Patricia, for this question? Well, I, I think without question, the resurrection stands right in the center of eternity. At the beginning and the end, all of history centers around the cross and the resurrection. And people scoff at the resurrection, but in fact, the historical evidence is really overwhelming. Uh, I've mentioned to some folks that uh, uh, there's a scholar, New Testament scholar, Gary Habermas, who has uh, done a historical study uh, regarding this. And um, the whole uh, record from the early testimony of the disciples who walked with Jesus, all the way down to the Apostle Paul, who wrote of above 500 that were seen of him pretty much establishes without question, without reasonable question, that Christ rose from the dead. And that's really pivotal. I think it's very striking that the apostle in writing in 1 Corinthians 15 said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we're yet in our sins. And he didn't say, uh, if you don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, it's almost as if he was setting belief completely aside as irrelevant. Now, of course, for us personally, we have to believe that Christ rose from the dead. But the fact is, no matter what we believe, Christ rose from the dead. And if we believe that Christ rose from the dead and he didn't, we're of all men most miserable. So the key issue here is whether Christ, in fact, rose from the dead. And God has given us abundant testimony. And I think the fact that Christianity even exists, if you look at the, the early history, the fact that Christianity exists at all, the fact that we're here talking about it, the resurrection, is very significant evidence that it actually happened. It occurred to me at one point that there's more physical evidence for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus than for the pharaohs. And at first glance, that might sound ridiculous because we have all the pyramids. But just think about how many blocks of stone are in the pyramids and how many blocks of stones are in churches. And those churches wouldn't exist if Christ did not raise from the dead. So there's simply enormous reason, evidence for us to put our faith in Christ risen. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that the resurrection of Christ brings us into a whole new issue, which we don't have time, I don't think, to talk about here today. And that is the purposes of God in Christ for eternity, because it's in a risen Christ that we are made a new creation. Mm-hmm. And Paul brings that out in his 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where he says that which is spiritual is not first, but that which is natural, and then that which is spiritual. And he goes on to talk about the uh, the first man, Adam, and the second man, and the uh, last Adam. So the risen Christ is really the head 
of an entirely new order of things, a new creation, as Paul says. And that was God's purpose before he ever lifted his finger to create anything. I think that's important to get a hold of. Yeah, it's funny, Roy, that you mentioned that last point about new creation, because that is something that I was thinking about, too. Like, you can go back in history and look at different people who claim to be teachers and prophets from God um, and look at what they said. And sometimes I think the similarities to some of the values in the Bible can maybe make you feel a little nervous, like, oh, no, maybe I'm on the wrong page. But then, you know, you could think about it in a different way that um, (laughs) that maybe all these people got these ideas from God himself. And it's just, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of talking. But one thing that does come for me is how the Lord Jesus, he didn't just go around speaking moral lessons and wisdom and having interesting conversations with different types of people and having dinner with lots of different types of people. He truly offered something different that anyone who believes on him one would be new creation, that we would be given, we would be partakers in the divine nature. And I know we we talked about this before the podcast, we started recording, um, but the fact that we will experience a fundamental change upon conversion. And that is something that is fundamentally different than just a set of rules for behavior modification, recommendations for a good and peaceable life. Um, Really everything in our faith comes out of the fact that anything that we do is only possible. Anything that we do that looks like we're following God's model, following the Lord Jesus's example, it's only possible because we are now like him if we are truly converted. And I think that that is so different and it's so important and unique. The other thing I like to think about when going to this question is maybe the story of Jesus is just a lie. I think people struggle with the idea of something sounding ridiculous or unbelievable. Um, And I, sometimes I want to challenge that within myself because I think if everyone, everyone like looks back in like the history book and you read about different events that took place like in Europe, in South America, things that they've uncovered right in the Middle East and Africa, they sound like unbelievable stories. Like what? There was this huge flood in Europe and then it like triggered a famine and it lasted so many years or, you know, just anything that you can find from like in Asia as well, like the different um, stories about things that happened a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, it sounds unbelievable. And yet there has been plenty of proof dug up that those unbelievable stories are true. Even if you watch the news today and you see what's going on in our country right now or whatever's going on in your town, it's like, wow, is that really happening? sounds unbelievable. And so I think sometimes people use that, I guess you would say, ploy to say that the salvation story sounds unbelievable as a way to discredit it. But I think what I'm just getting to is that, one, we experience unbelievable things every day. We've read about true things that are unbelievable, and that should not be the reason why we discredit something. We really have to take a look at the facts. What has actually happened? The Lord Jesus is a historical figure. His the evidence that he existed is everywhere and his impact is felt to today. So I think sometimes people get caught up with the seeming ridiculousness of the story. But I think that if you dig a little bit deeper, um, there is nothing to that argument there. So that's really how I think about it to myself, right? That this beautiful, extravagant plan that God had, why not, right? We're looking at pictures now of, stars on the other side of the universe 
doesn't that sound crazy? How is this possible? And yet we're like, yeah, that's totally real. Right. So I'm like, well, then why can't God and his great salvation story be real too? Well, thank you, Patricia. That's a good ending point. So as we concluded this episode, we have explored the central question of the salvation message. Does it make sense? In uh, 1 Peter 3.15, it tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. So it's good for us to be objectively and sincere with uh, not dismissing any question that comes and uh, with humility come uh, try to ask God for answers regarding difficult questions. So we hope this discussion made you think, gave you some answer, and maybe piqued your interest so you dig deeper by yourself into this topic. Ultimately, our goal is to start conversations, stimulate curiosity, and engage our critical thinking. What's the point? To grow closer to the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope to see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Patterns of Truth podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode. And we also encourage you to check out patternsoftruth.org, where we post articles every week for the encouragement and growth of Christ followers. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to submit them on our website. I'm Peter. Until next time.